If you're new visiting, checking us out, we're glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Uh, if you are a kid and want to hang out with some other kids, Miss Trish is over there and she wants to have an awesome time with you. So, and if you want to stay here with me, you're welcome to as well, though Miss Trish is way more fun. So we're in the midst of a series, it's called Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And what we're trying to do is lean into what does it look like to practice the way of Jesus. If you've been a part of Wellspring, you know we're using our discipleship frame, which is able to sort of shape and guide this series. ABLE stands for A, which is attend, taking time on a regular basis to attend to the person and presence of God. B, bless, that we're called to be a blessing in the world. So what does it look like to bless people inside and outside the church? L is learn, learning from the scriptures and generally learning in life. How do we learn on a regular basis? And E is eating with people inside and outside the church in order to embody the welcome of God. This Sunday, we're going to be doing an L discipline which is called, we're calling uh, your story or your role within the unfolding story of God. Now you might wonder, what does that mean? You know, you're like, sounds kind of neat, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, And so what we're trying to do is figure out, so what is our role uh, in God's story more broadly? I thought I might do just a quick doodle to kind of shape it a little bit. Um, So if we're going to look at sort of the unfolding story of God, what we'll see, right, is it starts starts with day one, right? So God creates all things, right? That's the beginning of the story. Uh, But if you read, right, day eight, nine, whatever day it is, right, there's fall. This is Adam and Eve. This is sin entering in the world. God creates things all good and beautiful and lovely. But then sin doesn't give up on his, right? And then from this, you have a call that happens. God doesn't give up on his people. He calls the person of Abraham. And through Abraham, he forms a new people that are meant to be a blessing in the world. Just as on day six, when he created you and me to bear his image in the world, right? He calls Abraham to be a blessing in the world. And through him, he forms the people of God, the people of Israel, right? Then Abraham's descendants end up in uh, trapped under Pharaoh, and then God initiates the exodus, right? He frees the people from slavery in Egypt, right? He frees them, rescues them, sets them free. Uh, But that doesn't end, right, all that well because eventually the people of God go their own way just like they did in the garden and they end up in exile, right? That's where the Old Testament ends. The story of God that's unfolding continues though, right? Because God does not give up on his people through the person of Jesus, right? He takes on human form. He enters into the story, into his own creation in order to rescue us. We, if you know that story, you know that Jesus then dies on a cross. But by the power of God, he's raised from the dead. Right? And he forms a people that gather around the cross. Right? This is the church. that want People that want to live cross-shaped lives, that want to follow in the path. And they are empowered right, by the Spirit. We call this the church. And one day we believe that God will return and he will make all things new just like it was on day one. But right now, we're living in this part of the story. And the question we want to lean into today is, what is our role in this part of the story? Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about being the faithful presence of God. So what does it look like for us to say, God is awesome wherever we go in the world? 
We've also talked about what does it look like for us to live as a community. Well, what I want to focus on this morning is, so what is our role? If God is calling us to have a role in making this, the church, a thriving and flourishing place, what is our role in that? In that part of the story of how we live and participate as God's people in the church to make it a place that is a place of flourishing. Now, in order to do that, I want to start with a couple New Testament texts, lean in on the New Testament side, uh, and then I want to spend a bit of time teasing out, like, what does this look like on the ground? Uh, But I want to start uh, with prayer, actually, because my thesis is this, uh, that every single person in this room, every single person who is a follower in this room has a profound, beautiful, and absolutely necessary gift or contribution to make in this body. And I want to start with prayer because I think there's a huge part of us that is going to discount ourselves. I think there's a number of us, right? We live in a sin-damaged world, and part of what sin does is it undermines whether we think we have anything to offer. So you'll come in here and you'll think, oh, that was a nice sermon, and then you'll leave and you'll still doubt whether you actually have something profound, beautiful, and absolutely necessary to bring into this body. Also, in a sin-damaged world, uh, we get so overcommitted, so overbusy, so much going on with our lives that you might agree or sort of, sort of have some sort of cognitive assent to the theology I'm going to say, but you will discount yourself because you're just like, how am I ever supposed to do that? My life is crazy. So I just want to start this morning by praying for us because I think in both of those categories, whether we just feel like we have nothing to offer or we feel like we have something to offer but we have no time to offer it in, I think in both of those we need God to intervene. No good sermon is going to get us there, right? And a mediocre sermon certainly won't, right? Let me just pray for us. God, I just am so aware that we have those stories, any narratives that discount ourselves into this room. And God, I just want to pray that you would break the power of those stories that tell us that we are not good enough, that tell us that we have nothing to offer. And God, I want you to just mold and shape our hearts and our minds that we feel like we have something to make, something to bring, because you made us. And God, for those of us who are just stuck in patterns of busyness and exhaustion and just the hectic pace of modern life, God, we just pray that you would break whatever sort of, I don't know, whatever keeps us stuck in those patterns. God, you would give us a way forward. You would give us an escape hatch. You would give us a back door that we can sneak through. God, you would give us a way through. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right. So I want to start with a biblical perspective on the human person, sort of, a, sort of an intro to biblical anthropology. Uh, and I want to start with this because I think sometimes we come into this room and we think, who am I? Right? Well, maybe I'm a grandpa, maybe I'm a grandma, maybe I'm a, a parent, maybe I'm a student. You know, we have all these titles that we sort of take on. And all of these are true in one way or another. But what I want to lean into today is sort of what is at the core of who we are? not simply the titles that maybe we describe ourselves with. And to do that, I want to lean into a verse uh, in Ephesians, handiwork. Paul says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
I just want to slowly kind of unpack this. We're God's handiwork. In Greek, the word is poema. Does that sound like an English word maybe you've heard of? A poem. We are God's poems. We are God's masterpieces. We are God's handicraft. In the New Testament, this is used a few different times. Uh, It's used also in Romans 1 when Paul is talking about all the things that God has made, right? And they point to the goodness of God, all these created things and how they point to characteristics of God. And he's saying this same word, right? We are God's masterpieces that display God's greatness. John Piper has this saying or this phrase, this quote he says about sort of this word in Greek. He says, the point is that a poem point is that in a poem, there is manifest design and intention, wisdom and power. The wind might create a letter in the sand, but not a poem. That's the point. God acted. God planned. God designed. God crafted. He created and he made. And Paul is saying, we are you, that you and me, we are created, we are designed, we are made, we are poetry that God has made to be lived in the world. We are God's creations. This isn't something Paul just comes up with, right? If you go back to Genesis, you go back to day six, what do you see? God takes dirt and he breathes his life into this dirt and he makes a living creature, Adama, right? Adama is Hebrew for earth, topsoil, dust. He breathes into the topsoil dust and he makes a living creature, he designs him, right? Then we get Adam. Psalm, there's a book of poetry called the Psalms, right? Psalm 139, the, the prayer says this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well, right? You and me are created by God, fearfully, wonderfully made, intentionally designed. Now, if you heard that before, you might be like, okay, whatever, get to the good stuff. No, 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 back to this. This is huge and important because if we don't believe at some deep and visceral level that God made us intentionally how we are, we're going to miss the back-end application of this, that God didn't make a mistake when he made you. (laughs) He made you with specific gills, skills, not gills, that would be really interesting though. <laughs> Specific gil- skills, I'm going to do that the rest of this time. It's painful. And flippers. And um, <laughs> he made you with gifts that you're going to bring into this place. He made you intentionally nuanced. You are a poem, a masterpiece. If you've ever written poetry, you know that you choose every word with great intentionality. We are God's masterpieces. Then it says, created in Jesus Christ. Now this word in Greek, created, kritso, it sort of often refers to God making something new and unique. Right? So you are not a carbon copy of another human being. You are not only a masterpiece, you are a unique masterpiece that God made and brought into this place. That there is no one in the history of all creation, in the Christian history of all things, that is you. You are absolutely unique, right? But in a sin-damaged world, sometimes we forget this. We think, ah, someone else can do it. The thing is they can't. You are absolutely unique, and what you bring is absolutely irreplaceable. 
In a sin-damaged world, sometimes we take credit for the things, right? We're like, oh, I'm awesome. Look at what I did. And it's like, no, no, no. Yours, they are the graded by God. The gifts and skills, the talents you bring to the table are not yours. They are the grace and mercy of God working through you, in you. One of the things, though, is we are God's masterpieces, but we are not like the David in Florence or the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. We are functional art. We are meant to do something. For we are God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to what? Do good works. But this isn't earning. This isn't proving yourself. We are not doing it. We are not getting saved by works. We are created by God for works. And these works are absolutely authentic to you and to me. Like you probably have the experience in life where you go into a place, a church, wherever, and you're just like, man, this is really easy for me. You just sort of shine. And you might think, well, I don't want to own it, right? Because that would be bragging. No, that is giving glory to God for how he made you. We all have absolutely authentic expressions of how God made us to do good things in the world. And then it continues, Ephesians 2 says, says that we are prepared, these things are prepared in advance translations of the Bible to do. Now that's the, that's the NIV, so there's different translations of the Bible. The NIV is one. I want us to turn to a different one, it's called the ESV. And the reason is because actually I think it tracks way better with the Greek in this instance. This is how it reads. For we, as, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And this is the point that's really important. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is what Paul is trying to say. God prepares in advance. So imagine you're a parent. You've invested for 20 years in your kids. You've prepared. You've done everything you could to prepare them. But at some point, they leave the house. You've prepared them for good works, but at some point, they have to actually do those good works. Paul prepares in advance. He gives us everything we need. He shapes, he forms us authentically so that we have something to offer the world. But, it says, that we should walk in them. We need to walk. There's this tense in Greek called the subjunctive. It's used lots of different ways, but one of the things it can do is create conditionality. So saying this, God creates us, he forms us, but we actually have to do something. We actually have to walk. There's this theologian, his name's Andrew Lincoln. All biblical commentary says this, it is grace that enables people to play their roles in the church's life. All grace. God shapes us, God forms us, God empowers us by the Spirit, and the human activity of walking is still necessary. It's this both and, always at play. Karl Barth, who's one of the most famous theologians of the 20th century, has this awesome, pithy statement. This I want to share it with you. It says this, the distinctive thing about Christian or theological ethics, ethics is sort of what we do, is that we do not have to do any carrying without remembering that we are being carried. This is always at play. God shapes and forms us. He uniquely designs us. And he gives us everything we need, but we have to actually walk in them. We have to do something with it. Now, this theme is not limited to Ephesians 2.10, right? It pops up throughout the scriptures. 
1 Peter 4.10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in the various forms. Now, one of the things that's funny, fun about the Greek here is uh, gift, charisma, right, is sort of the, the Greek word, right? The root of that is charis, which is grace. So these gifts that we are given are from the grace of God. They are the gracious gift of God, which then we are stewards of to use in the living, functioning body to God's glory. God, in verse 11, he says this, in order that in everything, God might be glorified in Jesus Christ. Right? It's not, we don't do this so that we can rack up sort of good boy points and good girl points. We don't do this so everyone can worship us. We do this so that God is glorified. We are who we are and we choose to be who God made us so that God is glorified. Now, up to this point, I've really focused on sort of the individual authentic journey, right? That we all have an authentic journey, and we need to lean into that, right? But the truth is, the New Testament is a little more complex here. It's not simply about your authentic expression. It's also about how that then relates to the community in which you participate, right? If you go into the New Testament, what you see is there's this unique balance between the individual on his or her authentic journey, and how that relates to the community, the local church in which he or she is placed. Consider this. This is Romans 12, 4 through 6. For just as each of us has a body with many members, we know this, right? You sit here, uh, right, with a hand and a head and a foot and an eye, uh, and it's through the full functioning of all those members, right, that you have a body. For just as each of us has a body with many members, and these members, you know, function, Right? The foot does something different than the hand, than the eye, than the hair, you know, if you have it. And so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, right, according to the grace given to each of us. Right? So what God is saying is that not only do we have this authentic individual expression to bring into the church, but then that merges when we form into a local body, right? The role we have as the church, empowered by the Spirit, shaped by the cross. We are all individuals there. And just as a foot is carefully crafted, right? If you're a podiatrist, like you know, the foot is like this incredibly complex thing. And if the foot goes off, it really affects your life. Same with the hand. Same with the eye. Same with the human person. But when the human person, authentically formed, lives into who or she God made them to be, and then we all come together in our authenticity, we have an incredible communal offering to give. James Dunn has, says this, I think it's a really important quote, because sometimes we think of communal life as conformity, but it's really not. He says this, the body is not one without the diversity, it is one body by virtue of its diversity. Without the diversity, the body would be a monstrosity. Right? God designed the church to be a collection of individuals that he shaped uniquely, you and me, to come together, to have this unique expression in the world. Now, one of the things I think is sort of interesting about communal life is often we think we choose it. Right? We often think, oh, I choose to be a part of this church, sort of the nature of like church shopping, right? 
I read this quote in uh, The Four Loves uh, by C.S. Lewis, and he's talking about, it won't be projected, uh, he's talking about sort of the nature of community and how we choose it or participate in it, and he says this, in reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can only truly say to every group of Christian friends, every church, every community, you have another, but I have chosen you for one another. From a biblical perspective, we are all shaped and designed by God uniquely. We come into this body with a particular, unique, authentic expression to offer. And it's as we do that, that we function as a living, breathing body that glorifies God. Now, you might be sitting there, that is awesome. So thank you for so much for sharing. Okay, so what does that mean on the ground, right? Like, awesome, great, now what? Uh, and I, th I think that's important, right? Because the theology is one thing, but how we actually apply this on the ground is a totally other beast. If I was going to describe it in a couple parts, I would say it this way. I think it starts with all of us as individuals prayerfully observing who God has made us to be. Right? How do we determine our role in the unfolding story of God taking place in this local context? I think it begins with every one of us prayerfully observing who God made us to be. I remember, though, going to a pastor once and saying, hey, can you help me? Like, I'm trying to figure out how God has equipped me to serve in the body. He's like, oh yeah, I'd love to. Super excited. He points me to the spiritual gift test. I take it. He hands me the printout and he goes, here you go. I walk away, go to my house, put it in a door. We need a guy. Got it again. Right? Because in the end, we don't need a paper. We need a guide. We need someone to help us. Like, ah, how do I make it through this? How do I figure out how God has shaped me? For me, it was this guy named Terry Walling. It was in my doctoral program, and he just took me under his wing. He gave me books to read. He spoke into my life. He helped me to see who I was and how God was using me already. He helped me to identify seasons of my life when I was really just full of life and energy and joy. And he's like, what were you doing then? And I ask you, what, if you looked back on your life, can you think of seasons when you just felt like, man, I loved that season. I was experiencing so much joy. What were you doing? Maybe it was in the church. Maybe it wasn't. There's this guy out of Fuller named Bobby Clinton who says, grace builds on nature, right? God designs us a certain way. We come into the church. We experience the power of Jesus. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And what happens? The Spirit's gifts that we get build often on the nature he has already given us. So you might practice that in the church, but you might have a season in your workplace and you're like, when I was doing that, man, I felt the presence of God. I felt joy. I felt life. What were you doing? Can you think of a season? And conversely, 
Can you think back on a season when you just felt drained? You just felt like maybe you were in church serving, maybe you're in a nonprofit, maybe you're in a school, maybe you're an architect, wherever in life. Can you think of a season that you were just drained? You're just like, I hate this, I am burning out. What were you doing? Sometimes when we look at the seasons that bring us life and the seasons that drain us, it helps us understand how God formed us so that we can bring our unique offering into a place. And I just want to say also, like, one of my great joys in being a pastor is this process. Like, I get to meet you guys. We get to hang out. I get to hear your stories. And in that process, I get to say, ah, what is... Who did God bring into this place? And I just get to play and say, oh, what are you doing here, God? Because it is my deep conviction that every single person in this place has a profound and beautiful and absolutely necessary contribution to make in this body. And I want to say to you that if you're struggling in that process and you want help, I would love to meet with you. The But the thing is, The process starts with this prayerful observing, but it doesn't stop there. Actually, this prayerful observing shapes then our experimentation. Too often we think, oh, I'm going to take a gift test, I'm going to get the printout, and now I'm done. No. That is often just the very first step, the very beginning of a process that leads to experimenting. Actually, I think some of our gifts, who God has made us to be, is actually determined by experimentation. Let me give you a biblical example. God calls Moses. Hey, you want, I want you to set my people free, right, in the Exodus. And he's like, no way, I can't do that. I can't do it. How does he learn he can? By doing it. God sends him. He starts to see, oh, this is, I'm doing it, you know. God's doing all the work, but I'm here, you know. And it's actually through him applying, through him responding to the invitation of God that the exodus happens. And we look back and say, Moses, what a leader. But that's not what Moses thought of himself. The truth is we need experimentation. The thing is, we often stop at the internal self-reflection stage. And you know what it often leads to? Sort of a self-absorbed navel-gazing thinking about how we are perpetually in this pattern of paralysis where we're just thinking about how God made us, thinking about how God made us, thinking about how God made us, thinking about I could just keep going. And we feel stuck. We actually need to experiment. The problem though is if you just get to experimentation and you ignore the internal process, you know what that almost always leads to? Burnout. Because you start doing all the things that you really shouldn't be doing because it's not really how God made you, but it's the need in the community. So you keep serving and serving and serving and institutions are really good at leveraging your good heart. And you burn out. You need this balance of the internal, the prayerful, the consideration, the guidance of others. And then try stuff. That didn't work. And then you go back and you try again. You have the internal you have, the ex- you have the experimentation side. And the thing is, though, right, like this then translates into and is always within a particular context and a particular community. This is never abstract. God uniquely shaped and formed you, right, Ephesians 2.10. 
And he didn't just give you one gift, right? Sometimes we look at the gift sets in the New Testament and we try and come up with like, all right, what are the exact gifts? You know, I don't want to add any. And it's like, no, no, no. Actually, if you look at every single gift in the New Testament, they're all different. What does that tell us? There is not one exact list. Secondly, every single one of us is uniquely made and given a constellation of gifts, a gift set. Now you have that, you have these different lists, plus a gift set that then has to always be applied in a particular place. You wondered why this was hard to do. There's this great quote, I love it. It says, your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. But this is the thing. The world's greatest need is an abstract concept. Actually, the world's greatest need is always particularly applied. So what is the greatest need here? What is the greatest need in your place of work? Right? It always has a particular point of application. I remember a few churches ago, uh, I asked our senior pastor, I was just trying to get a sense of like whether pastoral ministry was for me. And I asked him, you know, how do I, how do I discern this? How do I discern whether God is calling me to be here or do something else? And he said this comment that has really stuck with me. He said to me, Tony, pay attention to your joy and then ask people in the community if they're experiencing fruit. Right? My joy, how God made me. If I'm operating in how God made me, it almost always produces or good at fruit or some level of joy. Right? Imagine when you do something you're good at that doesn't require tons of effort. Isn't it fun? There's a certain level of pleasure when you do something that is in line with how God made you. And the truth is, in context, it almost always leads to fruit. Because you're operating in your gifting, the way God made you, in a particular place that he put you. But that's not always the way it works, right? Sometimes you have joy without fruit. And there's lots of reasons this can happen. But I think one is, yeah, you're operating in one of your gifts, you're doing something you're made to do, but it's not what the community needs. So it's not bearing fruit. Maybe there's tons of already tall trees producing fruit in that area, and you're a little seedling trying to come up. There ain't no light, you know? The point is, sometimes we experience joy, but there is no fruit because there wasn't really a need for that thing in that place. But sometimes there's fruit, but there's no joy. You know, you go to a place that's high need, and they're just glad you're helping, you know? Oh, man, you might get that really good sort of sense of approval from everyone. They're like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here, and you're dying inside. Glad you're helping. Everyone ever, has anyone ever been in a place like that? Where people are just so glad you're helping, and you just kind of run off that applause and that approval until you burn out. Because you have no joy. You're just paying attention to the approval in the community, that feedback loop, but you're not paying attention to how God actually designed you. And you just get run into the ground. The idea is to have fruit and joy. Right? When you're operating in who you are in a particular context with your gift mix and how God designed you, you experience fruit and joy. Right? So the process, sort of the summary. Right? We pay attention to prayerfully observe who God made you to be. How has God shaped you? 
And this will shape your experimentation, how you actually try stuff within our body here at Wellspring. It always has the particular context. It always is shaped, the experimentation is always shaped by who God made us to be. All right, let me give you some just random examples. Just in the last week, I've talked to so many different people. Talked to someone who was really passionate about kids' ministry. And they're like, man, I just wondered, you know, God, I felt like God has talked kids stuff. And she was like, you know, I'm just wondering. I was like, well, let's try it. Like, we can always use help. And investing in the next generation of kids is always worthwhile. Let's try it. Right? She was just like, I wonder if God has shaped me to do this. I was talking with someone else this week. It was talking about they're helping with the youth and they were saying, you know, but what I really love is leading a group of adults. I just love it. Like, brings them joy. They're just excited to lead a group of adults to discover the person of Jesus. And they're good at it. And it's effortless. And they're just like, man, I could do this every day. I love watching uh, our hospitality team, right? And they come in and their gift, they just love creating a banquet for us after service. Right? People will just bring, they'll cook stuff, they'll bring it in, and it is their offering so that we don't just hear a, ser- per, hear a sermon and listen to some songs, sing some songs, but we also get to just hang out and break bread together. Right? That is people using their gifts to provide food in this place. I remember a few months ago talking to Cheyenne Maddox, and she was like, ah, how do we like, make more of a connection in the local community? She's passionate about this. So she gets a couple moms together. They brainstorm. They come up with these different ideas. Like we had something at Thanksgiving. We had all these different things that are like, thank you. Because Cheyenne is like, I love this. I want to do this. It's like, yes, thank you. And sometimes it's things we're not doing, right? I was talking to uh, Eric Keener came up to me the other day and he was like, you know what we really need? He's like, I love hearing people tell their stories. I think God is doing stuff in this place. Let me be the person who gathers people's stories and we can share them. It's like, awesome. Sometimes there are things that exist. Sometimes there are things that don't exist. We had a welcome team before the butlers came here. And they're like, man, I am passionate about welcome. He's like, how about we do this? How about we actually take the coffee outside and welcome people on the corner, whether they're coming to church or not, and hand out coffee? It's like, awesome. That's just them being them in this place. I mean, I could go through lists and lists and lists of watching how so many of you have used your gifts and skills and the way God has made you to bring shape to this place. Whether it's taking your green thumb and watering plants, whether it's your construction background helping with the building, it is unbelievable to me how many of you have brought your gifts into this place and how much of an impact that has made. It is just astounding. One of the things we're always trying to and if we're thinking about parents, like how do we do this with our kids? So one of the things we're always trying to think of in this series is this idea of kids able, right? How do we, how do we help as parents help our kids lean in here? I think one thing we can do from the very beginning is like lean in and talk with our kids about Like, how do we affirm each other's strengths as a family? Maybe take some time this week and just talk with your kids and have your kids look at you and say, where do you see God at work in each other? 
How do you see strengths in one another? And then maybe even try something. Oh, you think you're really good at that? Let's try and do it. You like welcoming people? Oh, you, a family can stand at the front door and welcome. You, want to, you think you're good at hospitality? Awesome. Let's have a neighbor over. And just do that as a family. Now, one of the things I want to do that's a little different this morning is rather than simply have an experience where I talk about our role, right, within the unfolding story of God, how do we use our gifts and who God made us sort of abstractly, uh, what I want to do is actually sort of frame our role in terms of worship. So as we go into worship, the band is going to come up in a minute. I'm going to take one song where we can just listen to God's invitation to us. Clipboards, there are going to be a second song. I'm going to actually have people pass out clipboards. And on these clipboards, there are going to be various ways that you can contribute. We're going to have a clipboard that has six different ways to contribute. So we're going to have something for hospitality, right? That's just creating a beautiful spread so people can enjoy food after service. Maybe you want to be a part of that. Maybe it's our welcome team. That's greeting people at the doors. Maybe it's sound and slides, right? Projection, those kind of things. Maybe it's our worship team. Maybe it's helping with youth. Maybe it's helping with kids. There's all these different things. That's one page. On the back page, there's just going to be a blank page. And on this blank page, I just want you to think about what do you have to offer that maybe isn't listed on the front? Maybe you're like, meh, I don't really resonate with any of those. But I'll tell you what I really resonate with. This is how I want to contribute. Just put your name, email on there, and maybe like a one-sentence description of what you're interested in doing, and we'll get back to you. And the reason we're doing it this way is that I think sometimes we discount contribution that we're making within the church and using God's gifts, and we segment it from worship. But the truth is when we use our gifts, it is an expression of worship to the giver of the gifts. Thank you, God, for giving me these things. Thank you, God, for making this way, me this way. I'm going to run with it. And I'm going to give you glory for every second of it. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to pray for us. And what we're going to do is we're just going to take a song. We're just going to worship. And then after that, we're going to pass these clipboards. And if you are already volunteering in five places, do not sign up again. <laughs> the point is not to get the people that are already doing five things to do five more. I do not want that. If you are new or visiting and you're like, I don't even know if I want to be here. Well, just listen and pass the clipboard. But if you've been here for a bit and you haven't found your niche, I want you to try something. I'm not asking you to commit for the rest of your life. What I'm asking you to do is try something. Right? This is not just an internal process. This is an experimentation process. And I'm inviting you into a journey of experimentation. I'm not asking you to commit your life. I'm asking you to try something. And if it stinks, tell us and say, now we'll say, what else would you like to try? until you find something that brings you joy. Let me pray for us. God, I just am so grateful for the gifts you have given us. God, I am so grateful that every single person in this room is just a real treasure. God, that we are functional art, that we are living masterpieces. God, that we are your poem being read to one another in the world. I invite. And God, I just pray in this morning that you would speak and invite. God, for those of us who discount ourselves, God, that you would speak words of encouragement.
God, for those of us who are just so busy, God, you would give us a way to lean in. God, that we wouldn't just sort of think in terms of, now I'm doing something. No, 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 this is actually part of our worship. It's recognizing, God, that you have made us with something awesome to give the world. And part of our worship is responding to that. God, work in us and through us, God, to your glory and to our transformation. As you lean into this song, I just invite you to listen. How is God nudging you, inviting you? And I'll come up again after the song and just sort of begin the process of handing those forms out.